a very good morning to you, Brecky, here on SEN Monday, the 29th of January, and I'm with Michael Karianis. It is Trent Copeland and Michael Karianis with you this morning, and good morning. SEN 11.70am here in Sydney as we're filling in the chairs for Vossi and Brandy. First hour, we've got those of you listening on SENQ 6.93am in Brizzy. Patton Hills will be along from 6 a.m. Queensland time. And a good morning to you if you're listening anywhere else across the SEN network or on the app. Uh, what about yesterday? Can we talk about last night, MC? My goodness, my head is still spinning. I don't know what happened yesterday, but the world just went crazy. There was upsets everywhere. There was comebacks. Yannick Sinner, oh my goodness, coming back from two sets down to defeat Danny Medvedev at the Australian Open, and let's take a listen firstly to match point. He made the first serve. Medvedev goes backhand cross-court. Sinner backhand cross-court. Medvedev backhand cross-court. Up the line by Sinner. Cross-court forehand, Medvedev. Up the line by Sinner! And it finishes in style off his forehand. That has been the absolute devastating wing in this tournament. At full stretch, Yannick Sinner... It's the most appropriate shot to make him a Grand Slam champion. Three hours and 44 minutes, a 22-year-old from Northern Italy has done an incredible job to get back into this match and go on and actually win the whole thing. Absolutely incredible, MC, and we'll dive into the full ramifications. The If you had just fallen asleep at two sets to love up for Medvedev, you would have thought, what on earth have I just listened to? We will unpack it all. We'll have SEN's tennis expert, Brett Phillips, on the line. We'll have the Daily Telly's cricket writer, Ben Horn, to divulge and talk us through what on earth happened at the Gabba yesterday. The West Indies beating Australia on home soil for the first time since 1997. And the Socceroos advancing to the quarterfinals of the Asian Cup. And we're going to bring you some audio of Alan Border, who was talking very openly and frankly and emotionally uh, about his Parkinson's diagnosis uh, over the weekend. So, I mean, MC, my goodness, where do we start with all this? But uh, good morning. Hope you're well. I'm well, Coates. I'm well. Good morning. Yeah, what a huge... 24 hours in, in sport across a, a range of sports. You mentioned the tennis, the cricket, the soccer. There was a lot going on, but a lot going on for you too, mate. How is uh, the hotel room in, in Bris Vegas? <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I'm still in Brisbane. After yesterday, we were at the Gabba watching one of the most remarkable... It could be one of the greatest upsets in Test Match Cricket history in Australia. Mm. That, that yesterday was... I mean, let me set the scene for you, MC. When I woke up, my hotel room, looking out the window in the CBD of Brisbane, it was grim. There was cyclone warnings. We're looking at, leading into the week, we're looking at two full days of just complete washouts. Mm. And the forecast yesterday was really bad. So waking up, thinking we might not even get any play in. Then we add on top of that, that there was a kid named Shamar Joseph who was at hospital the night before with potential broken toe from Mitchell Stark uh, and a Yorker. And the likelihood that he would even bowl in the match yesterday was very slim. We turn up to the ground, Ian Bishop had word that it was unlikely that he would take part in the day. He said himself, I turned up to the ground in a baseball cap, I wasn't expecting to bowl. And then 
we get one of the all-time unbelievable finishes to a test match. It was still right now hard for me to grasp the significance of the moment, but what we saw was ex-West Indian greats like Ian Bishop, Brian Lara, Carl Hooper at venue in tears talking about the significance back to the Caribbean. And let's not forget, this guy, Shamar Joseph, player of the series, he debuted a week ago, Mm. takes a wicket on his first ball in test cricket, takes five for in that match. Now he takes seven for, I mean, you can't, two years ago, he wasn't even playing cricket. Wasn't even playing organized cricket from a remote village named Barakara in Guyana to now the story of the test world. And I mean, the Caribbean would have been dancing their way all through the night last night and rightly so. What did you make of it, MC? Yeah, it it was an amazing um, turn of of events because you always thought uh, until late in the piece that Australia would probably just get it done, particularly with Steve Smith at the crease. And then, you know, when Cam Green got out, he, he looked decent yesterday for the first time this series. And then um, the floodgates just opened. King Pear for, for Travis Head. Um, Mitch Mitch uh, Mitch Marsh played a few shots, got out. But even still, I still thought, okay, they'll still get the job done here. And then, as you mentioned, Joseph, just bringing the game, bringing life um, to a, a series, you know, three months ago, we saying how dull this summer was going to be. Pakistan aimed up a little bit and made it competitive, and um, the West Indies took advantage of an Australian side who looked tired, um, looked a a little bit out of touch. And, you know, as good as a feel-good story is for this West Indies, I think we, we, um, because we have a soft spot for them, and, and, you know, it it is a good story to see them um, develop into potentially a a test-playing nation, a significant test-playing nation again, I think, you know, we, we can't forget or play down how poor that Australian batting lineup was this series. Really, really poor. Um, really, really bad performance from some key players. Um, and, you know, there are some massive question marks heading into that New Zealand series because if they bat like that, they're going to get walloped. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Playing away from home in New Zealand is very tough. Uh, we saw an, another incredible test match over in mm. India last night, which will also get into but the Edgewater Homes text line 0457 736 736 tell us what you think was it one of the greatest test matches that you've seen Uh, and what did you love about particularly Shamar Joseph but Steve Smith is he there to stay at the top of the order he carried his bat almost got Australia over the line it would have been a heroic effort if he could do it uh, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line. Get in touch with us. There's so much to talk about this morning. Uh, MC, did you watch the tennis? Uh, I'm interested because I was, I mean, I was cricket, then watching the India stuff, but also rushed to then yes. go and see last night in Brisbane. Lucky enough with one of our head producers at seven, Joel Stasevich, to go along and see Tom Brady mm. talking live in the flesh. Uh, with quite a lot of the Broncos boys, Reese Walsh was there, um, you know, Pat Carrigan and, and a few of those. So we'll talk about that as well. Yeah, I'm going to hammer you on that, I think, after that. after seven, because I'm so intrigued um, by the, the turn of events there. And, um, you know, one of the greatest sportsmen of all time um, in the audience yesterday. So I'm intrigued by that. I didn't catch a lot of the tennis because I was coming back from Newcastle. Um, family, uh, my in-laws live there. So I didn't get back home to about 11. So I'm... 
on probably not as little sleep as you, but also not pumping through it at the moment. So might be definitely a nap at some stage today. Yeah, there's a lot to consume yesterday, but the tennis, if you missed it or you went to bed when it was 6-3, 6-3 to Medvedev in the first two sets, Yannick Sinner turned it around and then wins the next three sets, 6-4, 6-4, 6-3. And as you heard on SEN uh, last night, it, it was magic. The guy is, when he beats Djokovic, you're thinking to yourself, is this the moment where... You know, the, the Roger Federer breakthrough at Wimbledon. Is it the, you know, the moment in his life where he becomes the next version of the Federer, Nadal, Djokovic? And are we looking at a guy that could potentially do this for the next 10 years, 15 years, and win multiple Grand Slams? It was magic. And the Australian Open final, MC, the women's final was a little bit of a non-event because Sabalenka was just way, way too good. Mm. And she's she's unbelievable, by the way. Uh, I, I've so enjoyed her content, uh, her ability to be authentic. Um, and we don't see it enough in professional sport, in my opinion. But Sina last night, uh, it's, it's one of those things where you see the result unfolding and you're like, no way. Yeah. They, they, he can't do this. Yeah, and then when it comes to fruition, it's an absolute epic, um, you know, and particularly the comeback element. Everyone's written off the fact that the West Indies could beat Australia. Yeah. Everyone's written off after a huge first innings deficit in India that England could possibly win that match. Ollie Pope gets 196 and all of a sudden they're in the game. A debutante takes seven for. And then last night we get Yannick Sinner. Uh, coming back from two sets to love down to win. So we're thinking, tell us your greatest comebacks in sport. MC, without notice, does anything come to mind? Uh, 1300 01 1170 and 0457 736 736, the text line. The best comebacks you've witnessed in sport. MC, what do you think? I think one of the ones that, that spring to mind is um, Newcastle of 97, just because of what the whole town or the whole region went through in, in, in 97, you know, loss of jobs, you know, the middle of the Super League war, um, all these sort of things where, you know, they were on their knees, the Newcastle Knights, they were, you know, potentially about to get ripped apart by Super League and then come out and, and, and beat the all-conquering Manly side in, in an epic grand final. So that's one that, that stands out for me there. Copes, what about you? Yeah, it was one of those ones where, I mean, firstly, yesterday was just one of those ones where I was like, no, 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 this can't happen. <laughs> it can't. Yeah. The first week it happens. And I mean, at the time where Steve Smith and Cameron Green are batting together to start the day, Shamar Joseph not on the field at that point. It was a really clinical partnership. And I was thinking to myself, there's just no way. It's It can't possibly happen. Mm. And then the wicket falls off the back elbow of Cameron Green you're getting into the stage where you're like, oh, wow, they're a chance here. Then about three wickets in 10 minutes, and Shamar Joseph has turned the game on its head. We've got an early caller in MC. We're going to go to Andrew from Brizzy. Who's up. Oh, I'm in Brizzy now. It's at 5.15 a.m. Good morning to you, Andrew. What a game of cricket we saw yesterday. Yeah, good, wasn't it? It was really good to see the Windies get up and really also good to see... Stephen Smith doing what he does. 
Yeah, absolutely, mate. It's, it was Steve Smith is an interesting one, Andrew. I, do you think it, this innings yesterday is enough for people to get off the back and just say, okay, he's still great. You know, he can open the batting and still be successful at the top level. Well, what more has he got to do? I mean, who else was opening that well apart from Woodburn? No one else really showed up in both innings. I mean, what more has he got to do? He's opening, it's the hardest position you can take. You're not going to get every inning straight, are you? And that's been proven by pretty much every opening batsman that's ever played the game. Yeah, absolutely, Andrew. Thanks for your call this morning, and uh, we're with you in here. Absolutely. It was an amazing day of cricket. Steve Smith was outstanding, but the story of the day, Shamar Joseph taking seven wickets, player of the series, sprinting off the field, MC, <laughs> to his, you know, after that wicket. Did you see that moment? I, I did, yeah. I was I was out having dinner last night at, at a pub, and... The game was pretty far away, but I positioned myself where I could watch it. And all I could see was the West Indian players racing. And I said to the people, well, obviously, Australia's lost here. And then, um, <laughs> but that, that was the moment. It, it, it was amazing um, for for the West Indian players. And, um, you know, considering, you know, how down in the dumps they were, how, you know, all the talks around such a second string, third string lineup. Um, but a bit yeah. of change of tact here, Copes. I like to get a little bit okay. weird okay. and uh, wonderful. <laughs> and I like to probe uh, a little bit. Valentine's Day. Right? It's around the corner. It's not too far away now. You've been married yes. for a little bit to, yes. to Kim. Do you still yep. do you do the Valentine's Day thing? Yes, we do. You do? Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, this might be a present. I'm not sure this. Okay. Um, so this is from um, New Jersey um, in, in the U.S., it's a bit of a weird one, right? So an animal shelter in New Jersey has a novel idea that's a perfect gift for an ex. Obviously, you, you guys are together, so <laughs> you're not going to um, go down this, this, this path. But for $50 donation, you can name a feral cat after an ex, <laughs> right? And the thing is, the, the, the way they're promoting it is for your $50 donation, um, they will stop the feral cat from being able to breed, Okay, and they'll allow you to name the cat after an ex. Wow. Is that something that you'd consider? Uh, I mean, no, I don't have that sort of animos- level of animosity <laughs> for exes, and in particular, it, I'm hoping that that never has uh. to come to fruition. Uh, but I'm sure Kim would talk about some horrific uh, presents that yes. I've come up with over the years. Yes. No What's, uh, one what? of... Well, one of them, our first Christmas together, I thought, let's get Kim out of her comfort zone. Uh, let's go skydiving together. Okay. I was, you know, and it was something that I really enjoyed doing and didn't have a fear of heights. I knew Kim had a fear of heights. Okay. And it was like a push, yeah. maybe a push out of her comfort zone. Of course, my wife, legend athlete, yeah. uh, played many, many years at the top level. Um, but yeah, that was one of those ones where, you know, when you get the, have you ever been skydiving? Yeah, yeah I've done it twice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you get the video back and your cheeks are blowing around yeah. everywhere. And it, it, I was thinking to myself, once you hit the cruise zone and you've, you know, popped the chute, I thought Kim would be like, oh, wow, how good is this? You know, I've done it. No, it was, I'm going to kill him. Yeah. I'm going to kill him oh, on wow. the video. Throughout the whole thing. <laughs> yeah.
Uh, anyway, that was interesting. Tell us, uh, would you like to partake in MC's <laughs> interesting plan to get back at an X? Uh, but as Andrew just did from Brisbane, you can call us on 1300 01 1170. The lines are open. Have a chat with us. Uh, we have a Signet Boost power bank to give away to our best callers today. So give us a buzz and let's have a chat. That open line number, 1300 01 1170. We're here for Brighton's lawyers. Unable to work due to injury or illness? Contact Brighton's lawyers. Welcome back to Summer Brekkie, powered by Kubota here on SEN. For over 40 years, we've been making tomorrow matter, shaping and building Australia together. It's Trent Copeland and Michael Karianis with you this morning to run through a wild day of sport yesterday and into last night, or the early hours of this morning. Vossi and Brandy, they are making their return to the show for 2024 on Monday, February the 12th. Uh, but you don't have to wait that long for Joel and Fletch. The boys are back for your run home tomorrow on SEN. MC, it's been a morning. We've mm. been discussing lo- lots of stuff going on uh, in the world of sport. But uh, we're going to get into the text. 0457 736 736. And the first one, I'm interested to get a result on this. Any chance of Michael's X's texts or ringing <laughs> in from Stuart? Uh, I hope not. I doubt it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure well, they're you've listening. Uh, I'm not you've sure. I'm it. not sure they're listening. But if they are, yeah, give us a call, and we'll screen <laughs> it, and you won't go on air. But anyway, um, <laughs> a few more. Um, the greatest comeback, obviously, of, as a result of um, the conversation that we had around the West Indies, the tennis, England beating India in, in the cricket. The greatest comeback, the Pats and the Goat. Tom Brady coming back from twenty eight three down the Iron Bronco. Yeah. That's that was crazy. Did did you watch that game? And uh, no, is that what Arizona? What who's that? What game are we talking about? Atlanta well, uh, Super Bowl one. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And it, I was I reckon I was at the casino in like I very rarely go to like big sporting like hubs to watch games like this because unless I like there's an urn. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like sitting in my own space. Uh, it's it's one of those things where um, I'm sitting there and thinking to myself, "There's you know, it's the goat, obviously, Tom Brady. Mm. Surely, you know, he's a chance, but it's at the point now where this is just ridiculous. Yeah. He, he can't possibly do this. Yeah. He, he can't. And then, like, I guess the West Indies yesterday and Shamar Joseph uh, just manages to get it done, Tom Brady. Amazing. The West Eel, best sporting comeback. Parramatta Eels run in 2009 was unbelievable. That's fair, but they didn't win the comp. You've got to win the comp. <laughs> Do you think? That's fair too. You've yes. got to win it. You've got to win it. But, yeah, they, they, they came from the clouds off the back of, you know, Jared Hayne and the like. But, yeah, without winning the comp, doesn't doesn't do it for me. Um, Mark says, not only did Sinner come back from two sets down in the final Medvedev won his semi-final from two sets down as well. Yes, true. It, true. Lots of those instances within the Australian Open. And I guess that's one of those sports where it, it, you think to yourself, there's a lot of people that just drift out and get beaten in straight sets and they're just not up to it in the moment. Yeah. But how often do you see like a, one break of serve in the third set in the men's um, and even you know halfway through the second in the women's, and it's it can just all happen really quickly. Sport, the game of momentum, is just pretty crazy when you think of it, MC. 
Yeah, one of those things. It's uh, lovely to have your text this morning, 0457 736 736. We're going to get through so much more. There's plenty to talk about. I'll mention uh, our experiences last night with Tom Brady. Uh, there's also plenty more in the world of sport. The Aussie Diamonds getting a win uh, over England, which is always good to see. Plenty more coming up after the news. We're here for Brighton's lawyers. Unable to work due to injury or illness. Contact Brighton's lawyers. It's summer brekkie here on SEN with Trent Copeland and Michael Karianis. If you're just waking up, here is some of what's making news. Yannick Sinner has pulled off an unbelievable comeback overnight from two sets down. He's defeated Daniel Medvedev at the Australian Open men's final 3-6, 3-6, 6-4, 6-4, 6-3. Here is uh, oh, well, MC when we were talking about Yannick Sinner. He's the kind of guy where you look at that moment and you think to yourself, is this the start? Obviously, magic mm. moment in anyone's career to win a Grand Slam. But he strikes me as the kind of guy that could be a legend of the sport. He's just got that aura about him, hey? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And it sets the platform, sets the year up for him yeah. as well. Now, how much of the tennis did you actually get to watch, mate? Because obviously, um, from the cricket into Tom Brady... Into yeah, very what, like, and how much sleep have you actually had? Uh, I've had about three and a half hours, I reckon, solid. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah wake up at four thirty here, Brisbane time. Um, but I mean, that's what you do for sport, isn't it? it uh, Kim, my wife, was on the netball coverage last night, okay. uh, arriving at the studio at one o'clock in the morning in Sydney. Yeah. So it were like ships in the night at the moment. But uh, yeah, I mean, magic moment at the tennis. And we've been talking all morning about the great sporting comebacks. Give us your call on the open line, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Uh, we've got a Signet Boost power bank to give away to the best caller, uh, and. The other news at the tennis was Sabalenka. She claimed her second consecutive Australian Open title on Saturday, beating China's Zheng Qinwen uh, 6-3. I don't know whether I've said that correctly, uh, MC. You got a confirmation there? Yeah, it sounds good to me. Yeah. You're good, looking good at the wrong bloke for confirmation yeah. on these matters. 6-3, <laughs> 6-2 was the score there. And Sabalenka, uh, one of... You know, in terms of charisma on the world sporting stage at the moment, she's right up there in celebrations. The Socceroos have advanced to the quarterfinals of the Asian Cup after a 4-0 win over Indonesia in Doha overnight. The Kings, they've upset uh, the league leaders, Melbourne United, with a 98-86 win there. The Kings had lost seven of their past nine games, so they've snapped that sort of losing form. And... We've been talking about this, but it still hasn't sunk in yet. What happened at the Gabba yesterday, Test cricket is alive and well, and it's only Test cricket that can provide this sort of scenario, the theatre, the uh, amazing storylines and things like that. It was the West Indies celebrating their first Test win over Australia since 2003 and their first on Aussie soil since the Wacker in 1997. Here's Jared Waitley calling the win on SEN yesterday. He lets fly. Hazel's bowled! Shamar Joseph has bowled the West Indies to the most romantic of victories. And one of the truly great upsets in Test cricket history. He's off on a lap of honour. <laughs> it's a win and events that will reverberate right through international cricket. And it might be the saviour of West Indies crickets. Shamar Joseph is a legend in his second test match.
Yeah, le- a legend, legend in his second mm. test match. Big call from Jared Whiteley. That was on SEN yesterday. MC, it's one of those moments. I mentioned Yannick Sinner when he comes back and beats Medvedev. Is it the moment in someone's career that catapults them into greatness? It had that feel about it yesterday. And when the legends like Ian Bishop are referring to, you know, he didn't say the famous line, remember the name. Yeah. But when you're talking about a moment in a test match career, and particularly the words that came out of Shamar's mouth after play when being interviewed, he said, I will always be available for test cricket. Yeah. Whether that can stay true or not, who knows. But he loves playing for the West Indies. He gave it everything out here. It's just magic, mate. And uh, uh, obviously, aside from the wickets, did you like what you saw from him in terms of his action and speed and yeah. uh, that consistency? Mate, mate, I'm a cricket nuffy. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. He and Alzari Joseph really excite me, if I'm being honest. And if you know, once Kemar Roach does decide to hang up the boots and, and retire from Test Cricket, if they can find a third wheel to go with these two over the years... They're going to be really, really well set up for success across all formats because I think they've got the crux of the majority of a, a batting group that is technically sound. They weren't at their best all the time this summer, but they're also against an elite operating bowling attack in Cummins, Hazelwood, Stark and Lyon. So you can't begrudge them for that. But also, I mean, man, when you think to yourself, they've just beaten Australia in Australia. It. Mm. You know, India at the Gabba, the run chase with Rishabh Pant, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. Outside of that, when has this happened? Yeah. I, I don't remember it happening like this, mate. It's just crazy to me. Uh, but we're going to get to all of your feedback in just a moment. We're here for Brighton's lawyers, unable to work due to injury or illness. Contact Brighton's lawyers. SEN Summer Brekkie is powered by Kubota. For over 40 years, we've been making tomorrow matter, shaping and building Australia together. It's Trent Copeland and Michael Karianis with you on your Monday morning, 5.40 a.m. Brizzy time, 6.40 a.m. <laughs> Sydney time. Yeah, it's, it's early, yeah. but there is a lot to unpack. A reminder that Vossie, Vossie and Brandy are back. Uh, they make their return to some uh, to breakfast on Monday February the 12th, and Joel and Fletch returning to SEN tomorrow. Jimmy Smith is back today. The bands are all getting back together, MC. Uh, and that's uh, maybe a little kick that we are almost through summer brekkie. On the way out. Yeah. On the yeah, way on the out. Way but out. we'll hold the fort uh, for yeah. another couple of weeks, mate. <laughs> we will indeed. We've been asking for your text this morning on the greatest comebacks in sport, what you thought of yesterday's amazing day of sport and there's been some good ones that have come in james has been early on the text declaring 22 runs behind a bit early or a bit overconfident was the question your thoughts mc Uh, i didn't mind it i thought it was an attacking ploy um trying to get um some play um under light and you know could have had two got one i didn't mind it your thoughts it was definitely the right decision Definitely the right decision if the new ball didn't come until after the Knights play and they bowled with a brand new ball the next day when it was 40 degrees. The mm. like temperature was 46 degrees at one point. I think it could have got really ugly and they might have lost by more. So, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. So you could say, yeah, they lost. So that's part of the reason why. Uh, I don't think cricket works like that, though, uh, unfortunately. Craig uh, has texted in and said, Morning, gents. 
Where do you draw the line between a great comeback and a good old-fashioned choke? Ooh. Well, that's, yeah, that's a, always a tightrope, isn't it? Depends, depends how I negative guess, you want to be. What type of fan you are? Depends on how <laughs> negative you want to be in the morning. We're looking, <laughs> we're looking at positivity this morning to to set up our week. Maybe tomorrow we'll do the greatest. By Friday, when we're all cranky and tired, we might do the greatest chokes. But no, no, <laughs> there is a fine line. But at the moment, we're just looking at the positives, Craig. Come on, mate. Yeah, yeah, fair call. Paul has texted in and said, Hi, guys. What was the thinking behind Smith letting Hazelwood face? Uh, it says Johnson. I think Shamar Joseph. Why didn't Smith bat until the last ball of the over and then get a single to keep the strike to protect Hazelwood? Well, it seemed like they had come with a distinct plan on ideally one ball, but if there was one on offer on the second last ball, they were comfortable to do that. And Hazelwood must have sort of thought that he was going to be okay for that. How does that how does that conversation go, Copes, between an established batter and a tail ender? Who who makes that call? What is there a a plan um before the game or is it just, you know, how they feel against certain bowlers? Well, talk talk us through that mindset. Yeah, it's probably a sliding scale scenario from number nine downwards or or where you think you're not a genuine batter that doesn't need to actually worry about this. Um where guys like Mitchell Stark Pat Cummins, I don't think you know this is necessarily a chat. Um, the guys at the bottom of the order, there might be preferences, or the blokes that bowl absolute wheels. Mm. Uh, it's difficult. Or if in this in this instance, um, Steve's probably walked down when Hoff comes out to bat and says, um, "I'm going to take charge here. I'm going to obviously try and face every ball that I can, but I also then don't want to expose you to the full over next over. So you're trying to strike the balance." Um, largely it'll be a conversation with Hazelwood's opinion on what he thinks he can do. Um, but ultimately it, it would then be Steve Smith's call on what he thinks is best as the set batter, uh, and obviously a guy that's seen and done it all. Yeah. Um, is that how you assume that it would go or? Yeah, I, I thought that the, um, that obviously be a conversation and how confident the 10 or 11 are against certain bowlers and, how attacking, I guess, or how informed the other batsman is as well, and how they're they're yeah. seeing them, I think would you know could dictate it as well from the outside looking in. Yeah, and it, I mean it's a, not an exact science, mm. and you you might play a couple of really good four defenses against one bowler, and then immediately you feel comfortable there. So the chat changes and yeah. says, you know what, I feel really comfortable down here. I'll stay here. You try scoring as much as you can, but let's have me finish. Uh, you know, at this end, the majority of the time. Hey, just moving off cricket for a moment, mate. Uh, NRL news, there was actually quite a bit that popped its head up over the weekend. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll handball, obviously, to the expert here. Uh, but let's start with the Cowboys. So Jason Tamalolo and Chad Townsend were co-captains at the mm. Cowboys. But they have been replaced yes. by Ruben Cotter and Tom Dearden. Tell us. Yeah, interesting this. Obviously, Tamalolo and, and Townsend have been co-captains for the last couple of years. Tamalolo still has multiple years left on his long-term deal. Chad's off contract at the end of this year. Um, and it's a changing of the guard at North Queensland. Ruben Cotter's established himself as a representative player. And Tom Dearden, they've just re-signed to, to be their long-term premier half. So it is interesting in the fact that they've got rid of both veterans and replaced them with two young guys who are going to be 10-year players still, right? Um, I do I do find the change a little bit surprising, um, particularly 
having both established guys removed. Maybe if there was one and they phased in, you know, one this year and then if when Chad moves on potentially at the end of the season, they phased in the other guy as, as well. Maybe they could have um, staggered it. But, you know, I've said it a couple of times now where I think Jason Tamalolo has a really – well, North Queensland have a really interesting decision to make with Jason Tamalolo in terms of what mm. they're paying him, in terms of the setup of their forward pack um, and the balance of, of their squad because, you know, he's on a million dollars and he, he hasn't played like a million dollar player where they've got some of the hottest young prospects in the game. So um, whether this is the first step in that evolution at North Queensland or it's simply a bid to, um, you know, you know what you're getting from Chad, he's still going to be a leader anyway. You know what you're getting from Tamalolo, and it's a way of empowering these young guys um, to put more responsibility, more more responsibility on their shoulders to try and lift their um, leadership stocks and try and get the best out of those guys, and to bring, you know, they're they're the best of that young crop that they've got there, and they've got a yeah. a good young crop of players. So you know, a, a generational change at at North Queensland, um, but it is interesting. I, I found a very very interesting decision to make uh, heading into this year. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, Ruben Cotter last year went in. I think every footy fan's opinion through the roof. Yeah. In what he did in Origin, you know, mammoth efforts, playing eighty minutes. He's one of those old-fashioned workhorses mm. that just gives everything when he walks on the field. So I can see just by example him being a, a fantastic leader. But interesting times at the Cowboys. Uh, you had a piece on the weekend about James Tedesco, yeah. uh, MC. Talk to us about that one. Yeah, it was an, a chat with, with James before Christmas, and um, he, he mentioned just struggling, I, I guess, with not being able to perform like we've seen him play over the last couple of years and, you know, a bit of a form slump, which just hasn't um, happened for, for him at all over the last couple of years. And uh, while I don't think he thought he was going as bad as what people were saying. Um, he definitely felt that, that weight of expectation and the difference in his style of play to, you know, Reese Walsh and Kalen Ponga, those dynamic fullbacks who sort of light the field up. That's not the way Tedesco has really ever played and that's definitely not the way this back end of, of his season is going to be going. And he said some interesting stuff around the Roosters start of the year as well where they were chasing perfection early. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in, in the pursuit of, of that perfection... They ended up getting frustrated and unable to execute what they needed to do to, to be a consistent side. So at some point during last season, they threw that out and rebuilt their game on simplicity and playing off the back of that and not being pressured by chasing perfection. And um, that probably led to the, their finals charge. I still think they're well-placed. I think Tedesco finished the year strongly, um, but he needs to start well to, to keep his yeah. origin jersey, I think. Yeah, I love seeing the real, authentic truth in this scenario about it. it's not perfect. It's not an exact science. Even the best teams struggle at times and the best players. So uh, a great yarn there, MC, as always. Summer Brecky is powered by Kubota. For over 40 years, we've been making tomorrow matter, shaping and building Australia together. It's SEN Summer Brecky, Trent Copeland and Michael Karianis with you. Monday, the 29th of January, uh, a little before 6am in Brizzy, 7am in Sydney. MC, as you do every time you come on, you come mm. in with info. You've brought a story about Valentine's Day today, <laughs> but give us your 
insights. What has this day given us over the years? Yeah, the 29th of January, 1996, David Boone played his final test cricket for Australia. Can't believe it's so long ago. It's aged us a little bit there. Copes, 96, David Boone playing his final game. Yeah, Um, I'm getting vibes of... uh, David Boone from Travis Head at the moment. I'm at short leg, his <laughs> yeah. work, and the, and the, the moustache. Yeah. yeah. In 2015, flight MH370 is officially declared miss- missing by Malaysia. Toby Rudolph was born on this day in 96, the Cronulla Sharks front rower. Molly Meldrum was born on this day in 1943. Here's one of his best moments, including interviewing Prince Charles on Countdown in 1977 come to the most important part of tonight's program. In fact, the most important part of the program's history. Some months ago, we had a talk with Mr. Harry Miller about the... Oh, no. <clears throat> and now we come to the most important part of the... Oh. Could I just have one glass of water, please? No, no. <laughs> Must have been funny at the time. And on this day in 2009, <laughs> Kelly Clarkson broke US chart records with her single, My Life Would Suck Without You. The song jumped from 97 to number one in just one week on the charts. Very good, MC. You've come with some info today. That was pretty good. If you're listening through SENQ, 6.93am in Brizzy, we now say goodbye to you. Patton Heels are up next out of the break. You can keep listening to us if you'd like through the SEN app. If you're listening to us here in Sydney on SEN, what a cup.